You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit oasiswaterloo.org. We'll give Dave a few minutes as we pray together to uh, get ready to uh, let us know if Satan's real or not. And you can be thinking of your questions as well as we go. We're going to take a few moments to pray and reflect together. And as I was uh, preparing for this, sometimes you're kind of like scrabbling around for ideas of what would be good to pray about, what do we think's relevant for now. Sometimes it's uh, really obvious, but this week I've been thinking a lot about transitions and changes, those kind of in-between spaces in life. Spring seems to be tentatively peering round the corner, giving glimpses of daffodils and sunshine and pockets of warmth. But the bitter wind and the bare trees and the threat of snow still also remains with us. Some of us reflected this Ash Wednesday as Lent began about living in the tension of our belief that the kingdom of God is near, but that things are not as they should be. In my life, my grandma died very suddenly a few weeks ago, leaving our family with the tension of waiting and limbo of grief, but also waiting for post-mortems and not really being able to move on. At the same time as Nathan, my husband, and I are waiting for in anticipation of new life in our own lives in a few months. I felt the tension of life and death together quite acutely never one far away from the other. And I've spoken a lot in our schools this week to students, uh, lots of students in year 11 and year in sixth form, who are currently taking mock exams or waiting for offers of university spaces, waiting in anxious anticipation of what the future will hold. And my reflection was a lot of these moments of the in-between are full of pain, and a lot of them are full of joy but actually almost all of them have moments of both. Pain seeps into joy and joy seeps into pain. And I think these are often the places that cause us to take a moment, to pause, to reflect, to think about what really matters in our lives, to turn to God with praise or with lament, or most often with both. But our call to sit with those things and to bring those things to God with honesty and with wholeheartedness. God in the tension and the transition and the change. So I thought we'd just take a moment uh, together to take some time in some quiet just to think and to reflect on ourselves or on a personal situation that we're aware of tension or change or transition and to bring it to God to ask God to be present and to be near, and just to ask for the courage to be honest and wholehearted as we bring ourselves to God. So we'll have some music in the background, and I'd just like you, yeah, just to take a few moments to pray and to reflect on a situation or a person. There you go. Right, we're off. So um, I've thought about this for all of... In five minutes. Um, so my question is, is Satan real? No. Thank you very much, everybody. I hope that's been helpful. Um, 
You've got nine minutes and 45 seconds um, remaining. No, uh, let me be a little bit less glib about it. Um, my, my view, um, I guess, is that I, I don't personally believe in a personified Satan, um, like a little guy with red horns, etc., etc. Although I do think there's something... Um, about a world which is not quite right, and let me talk about that a little bit. Um, the, um, as you're thinking about Satan, I knew this was on a topic, so I'd just been thinking it might come up, and um, as you're thinking about Satan, the Bible um, talks about Satan in loads of different ways, so it sometimes talks about Satans, um, it talks about um, Satan sometimes being human adversaries, it, um, some of the stories we read in the Old Testament, we've sort of imposed our understanding of the devil and Satan on stories so that all the stuff in the Garden of Eden and the snake and all that doesn't actually say that's the devil we sort of imposed that back on the story in the New Testament though sometimes it does talk about the Satan as a bit more personified so the Bible has got this like breadth of the way it talks about um, Satan and the devil um, and so I don't think you can come to one easy fixed conclusion. Um, the Bible often talks about Satan's as human adversaries. Um, and I, I wonder whether we've taken more of our understanding about Satan and the devil and stuff from other cultures and sometimes from medieval art and various places. So the um, story of the, the snake in the Old Testament in, in Genesis, actually some of that probably comes from um, Zoroastrianism um, and uh, taking some of that out of their culture into ours. Some of the stuff, I went to see um, uh, a big fresco by a painter called Giotto um, in Italy, and it's a picture of the devil, and it's this, you know, character with like a million arms, and he's stamping on people and throwing people down into the pits of hell, etc. I think sometimes we've interpreted all of that sort of imagery that's come to us sort of back into the stories of the Bible. I don't particularly believe in a, a personified um, devil. Um, and I, you know, I don't think that's just me. I think there are other people. Um, Karl Barth says that the devil's uh, neither person nor merely a psychological force, but as nature opposing good. Um, the devil's neither a person nor merely a psychological force, but nature opposing good. Um, there's that bit in the um, New Testament in Ephesians, um, which talks about powers and principalities, and I guess I would probably be more on that page as I'm thinking about what Satan is. Let me just read you this little bit. Let me find it. So this is, well, this book might have been written by Paul, um, but there's a bit of dispute as to whether it's Paul or somebody else, but um, probably Paul under house arrest, and it says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. Paul there is talking about powers and principalities. Um, I think there's a sense in, in the world, so I, I don't believe in a personified um, Satan, but I do believe there's um, something that doesn't quite work right in the world. There's all sorts of systemic injustice that goes on in the world. Uh, I, I personally think the world's got written into it this seam of brilliant goodness like you can find it in almost everything but it's also something that doesn't quite work right um there's something that doesn't work as it should and i i think um the new testament jesus even talks about that when jesus talks about the lord's he gives us the lord's prayer which is the only prayer he tells us to pray and he says our father in heaven how be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done as on earth as it is in heaven well jesus is obviously saying 
this is not quite going the way it should be. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And then the Lord's Prayer goes on to say, and we've got to get involved in that. We've got to get involved in being part of the solution to all of that. Um, um, he didn't ask me to talk about prayer, but I think prayer is this like aching and longing for the world to be different to the way it is. It's like this aching and longing against these structural injustices in the world around us. It's this aching and longing for the world to be different to the way it is and then us getting involved in that. But you might say, uh, you probably know the story of Jesus being tempted in the, in the wilderness and um, Jesus uh, goes out into the wilderness and there's an actual Satan character, a devil character in, in that story. Jesus gets tempted and the devil says, turn this rock into some bread and Jesus doesn't do it and jump off this building and you'll be okay and Jesus doesn't do it. And what's all that about? And interestingly, that story, immediately after Jesus has been in the wilderness, Jesus then comes back into Galilee and says, the spirit of the Lord is on me and he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to set the prisoners free, to break injustice. Jesus goes from this story about the devil to systemic powers and principalities and breaking injustice. So my take on that story would be that it's a metaphorical story about Jesus going into the wilderness to like, you know, um, work out who he is and how he wants to go and break injustice and break the evil that is in the world, break the brokenness that is in the world, go and challenge injustice in the world. And in Luke's gospel, I just find it interesting that it goes from that story to a story about Jesus heading off to um, really challenge social injustice. And they come one after the other. I guess um, I don't believe in this personified devil, but I, I do believe there's some stuff in the world that doesn't work right. I think it is our job that sort of battle is on to break injustice. And that story I read you in Ephesians is Paul sitting in under house arrest. Um, and Paul says, I don't, I'm not fighting with the person at the door who's locking me up here. We fight with principalities and powers. We're actually struggling with the powers that put me in this place. We're struggling with a world that says... You know, if you're going to say these things, you're going to end up in prison. We're not actually fighting with the people who are locking me up here in prison. But I guess Paul comes after Jesus. And that, you, again, you didn't ask me to talk about the, the one that was to do with the cross. But, you know, I think the cross, if I was going to talk about that, I would say, is this sign that evil doesn't win out? Actually, the brokenness in the world doesn't win out. The thing that is really the most powerful is this sacrificial love that's going to actually conquer all. Um, and this sacrificial love that's written into the story of Jesus. And, you know, Paul goes on to say that in Romans as well. Let me just find you that. So this is Paul in Romans chapter 8. What did I put? 38. There you go. Um, let me just find it. So, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither heights nor depths, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love that is Christ Jesus our Lord. So I think Paul's saying that like there is something more powerful here, it's going to win out. There is hope. Um, and I think that's one of the, if I was going to talk about the cross, that's the thing that's written into it, is that there is this hope that there's something bigger than the systemic evil that's going on in the world around. The battle is on. But I get, guess even in some of this stuff Paul's talking about, even after Jesus, Paul is saying, well, it's not done. There is still a battle on. We've still got to break injustice. We've still got to fight for the world to be a different place to the way it is. But we know that actually it will win out in time. I think we're still in the fight. So for me, if I was talking about Satan, I would say 
not a personified Satan at all. But I do think there's systemic injustice in the world. I do think there's stuff that we've got to fight against in the world. I think there's this seam of the world not quite working the way it should. And I think the battle is on. I think these stories um, tell us some of that. So let me just read you this little bit of Jesus being tempted in the desert. Um, when he comes out of the desert. Let me just find it, the wilderness. Uh, 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 here we go. Right, so then he comes out, he comes out of the wilderness... And he says, he goes to Galilee and he says this, he reads from the scrolls in Isaiah, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. I think Jesus has been dealing with who he wants to be, how he wants to go into the world and break this systemic injustice that's around him. And then he comes back to Galilee and says, this is the deal. This is how we're going to do stuff. This is how we're going to break injustice in the world around us. So for me, not a personalized Satan, not a personalized devil with little horns. I think we've taken all of that from culture around us and from medieval art, etc., etc. But there is something in the world that we're battling against. There is something written into creation which we're supposed to fight against. And I think Jesus sums it up there. I'm going to stop with 36 seconds to spare, I think. <laughs> there you go. Just a reminder, Dave is uh, going to answer us a few questions that we've got time for this morning, but we don't have huge amounts of time. Um, if you've got a question that hasn't been answered, um, as we mentioned, Nath and Steve are going to do a podcast together looking at uh, all the topics that we've covered over our Sunday grill service. Um, and if you did want to know the answer to the question, why did Jesus die or did Jesus die for my sins or however it was worded good news for you is that we've got a four-week series coming up that is covering uh, just that so uh, launching from one set of tricky topics into another over the next few weeks we're going to be exploring together uh, what was really happening on the cross what did Jesus death mean and what do uh, different Christians different bits of uh, theology say about that so um, if you wanted the answer to that question, which was quite popular, it might be coming your way. So I'm going to invite Dave uh, back up now, and he's going to answer a few of a few of your questions. I'm going to try. <laughs> I tell you what, as, as I was planning for this, I was thinking I, I once went when I worked with Steve. Um, we drove up to. I was working with him. We were driving up to Grimsby for him to speak. And um, we were in the car on the way there. And while we were driving up, it became clear that Steve thought he was just going to a meeting with five people. And I said to him, you do realise there are a thousand people turning up for you to do a 45-minute talk, don't you, Steve? And he said, oh, all right, fair enough, and just walked in and did a 45-minute talk off the top of his head. And it was incredible. But, um, so there are a few questions here. There's some sort of pastoral questions, which are really good ones. Um, and there's a couple of questions about the Bible itself. So maybe I'll just start with this sort of pastoral questions, first of all. But there's, there's a couple of questions that are just like, well, what do we do when we feel that sense of uh, Satan or evil? Or there's some stuff about what do we do when we're just feeling a bit broken? And, and what do we do with all of that? And I guess for us, like our core thing is we talk about community together, don't we? Our thing is that we are a community of people that support one another. Um, and I, I think that's the power of us being a community. When there's stuff that's really difficult for us, and like I said as I was talking, I think there's um, 
a, a sense of just some brokenness in the world. And so there's, there's some stuff that doesn't quite work right for me. There'll be some stuff that doesn't quite work right for you either. And I think that's the power of us being a community. We're here to sort of answer that Lord's Prayer bit where he says, um, bring about the kingdom of God right here, right now. And by the way, we've got a role to play in that. We've got a role to step into that and support one another as a, a community. So I would say the more we step into being a community together, the more we actually start to answer some of those questions together, the more we start to talk honestly together about the challenges. And, you know, Steve often says when he's talking pastorally that you need to be careful who you talk to. You know, you need to make sure that the person you're talking to is somebody you can really trust and has got your best interest at heart. But then if you can find those sorts of people as part of a community, we set up an environment together that should be supportive of one another in those those moments. And I, I think, you know, life life is tricky. I think that some of those readings I was reading you from the New Testament is Paul saying life isn't quite going the way it should be. It doesn't always go the way it should be. But we're, we're, we're fighting against not, you know, people here. We're not fighting against this personified devil. We're fighting against... Um, we're fighting against injustice and we're trying to build community together and we're trying to um, uh, be supportive to one another. I think um, the Lord's Prayer says something similar, actually. It recognises right at the start, your kingdom hasn't come yet. Your kingdom come right now, please. Um, so I think there's some stuff in there about us being a community together. There's some questions here about um, the Bible and just, you know, if we can say that story in the wilderness is metaphor, well, Feasby, can we just write the entire Bible off as metaphor? Um, so there was a whole sort of question on how we view the Bible, I think, in that series of questions. And I don't think we can do that. I think we've just got to take some of these texts seriously and really grapple with them. We've got to grapple with them at a sort of theological level. So what does the text say and how do we understand it? And what's the context and all that sort of stuff? But we've also got to grapple with them at a human, pastoral Level. So no, I don't think we should take the entire Bible as just metaphor by any means. I think it's this rich, sacred dialogue which runs right through the Bible of people trying to understand God and people trying to understand their personal reality as they understand God. They're trying to understand um, in the context of their lives and it's this, uh, this sacred dialogue that's gone on and written down over you know, 1,500 years of people grappling with their lived reality and who they understand God to be. So I definitely don't think we can just write the whole Bible off as metaphor. But I do think we can engage with some of it in, as metaphor. Some of it is. Jesus talked in parables all the time because metaphor is really powerful. It helps you understand things. Um, so, you know, you might disagree with me about that, that bit that being tempted in the, in the wilderness. I, I think, in my best understanding, that's a metaphor for Jesus then going out into the world and saying, right, and we're here to break some of the systemic injustices in the world. I'm, you know, Spirit of the Lord is on me and has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Um, yeah, there's some stuff in a question here about how you recon reconcile science and the book of Genesis. And again, it's sort of on that same point. If you're going to say some of it is metaphor, is all of it metaphor? No, I don't think so. I think we've just got to take the text seriously. I think the Genesis, um, you know, the first um, book of the Bible, is, um, first page of the Bible is a poem. It's not um, a scientific uh, fact. There's some stuff in the, the, in the question that was up there about inerrancy and infallibility. Um, infallibility uh, means 
that you know we can take the Bible seriously in terms of um, the things it says about faith and practice, but um, some of the scientific stuff, um, you know, maybe we don't really like that. I think we've got to take the um, the whole of this dialogue more seriously than we do the moment we read it literalistically. I think we come up with actual weak answers to what the what the stories in the Bible are telling us about. You wouldn't do that with any other ancient text, I don't think. If you were engaging with a piece of Roman history, you would actually sit and read about it in its context. You'd work about what the people, what you work out what the people thought about that in the context of their lives. You would work out what was going on in the wider society around them. So I think we need to do that with our text too. But it's a text that's, that's you know, the the reason these books were put together is because they said something really profound and important about God. There's a question here, where does injustice come from? And I think that's a really good question. I, 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 the honest answer is I don't quite know. I think there's something, like I said, built into the fabric of our universe which doesn't work perfectly. I think there's something built into the fabric of us together as humanity that doesn't always do the right things. We're not always going in the right direction. And so I think injustices, you know, these systemic injustices, I think, you know, Paul is trying to say in that thing that I read you from Ephesians where he's locked in his cell, I'm not having a go at the guy standing on the door here that's locking me in, but I am trying to say the world doesn't work quite right. You know, when you stand up for these sorts of things that Paul has, you're going to end up in prison. I think that is actually the story of the, the cross too. I think one of the ways in which you can view the cross is, you know, Jesus being so difficult for the world around him that he's actually put to death on the cross. So I don't quite know where injustice comes from, but I do think there's just something written into the fabric of nature which is, it doesn't always work the way it should. And I think there's something for humanity to deal with there. It's, um, you know, the Lord's Prayer again is, your kingdom come, your will be done, and we've got a role to play in that. We're going to forgive people as we've been forgiven. It's our job to step in to that reality of fighting against injustice. And I was thinking, as we were talking earlier, just in the, the community news, that I think that's what a prayer really is. It's this longing and aching for the world to be different to the way it is, and then a sort of activist response to that is... Um, 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 reliance on God but are saying and we're going to do something about that together so you know when we were talking about people riding on the bike to go and pick up Gail's bread that is injustice in the world which is wrong and then the, the prayer is this longing and aching and it's not just uh, sitting with your eyes closed and saying some particular words it's this longing and aching for the world to be different to the way it is and then doing something about it so the prayer is you know and off on a bike to pick up bread from gales the prayer is this community doing stuff to build relationships that we can support one another through crisis the prayer is i was putting together this event on the millennium green because that is us saying there should be more community and more relationship here so we can support one another the prayer is us setting up a secondary school here because we don't think that the systemic injustice of education not working right for everybody and everybody having chance and opportunity is a good thing. So I think prayer becomes something much more than just sitting with your eyes closed in your, um, and saying some particular words. As important as some of those sort of liturgical things are and some of those moments where you stop and do some of that reflection, I think prayer is this active response to injustice. There's another question here. I've got one, one more minute. How we explain Satan to young children? And I think it's sort of embedded in these questions you've just asked me. 
I think I'd talk about. There are things in the world that don't quite work right. There's injustice in the world that we've got to do something about. It is our job together as community to support one another in the times when things don't work for us as well as they should. It's our job together to go and campaign for the world to be a different place. It's our job together to live up to that Lord's Prayer and actually say, your kingdom come, your will be done, and we're going to do something about it. So I think if I was talking to kids about it, that's where I'd start. I'd start with, what, what are the things in your community that you see that are not the way you would like them to be? What are we going to do about it together? How do we rely on God? What are the character traits we need to learn together if we're going to be people that actually break that injustice around us and actually step up to the task of um, find, building justice together here in communities? So I think I would start there rather than some of the pictorial personified um, versions of Satan that I talked about earlier on. There you go. There were hundreds more questions, so I'm going to give them to Autumn Nath, who will answer them properly. <laughs>